sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. I'll ask you to please stand for the gospel. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 45. Matthew wrote, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. This is the gospel of the Lord. There's a lot going on with this text. (laughs) And so I thought it might be a good place to start by talking about this phrase. Sometimes you just got to recognize greatness. Sometimes you just got to recognize the fact that there is someone who is much better than you at doing one particular thing. In fact, sometimes even it's foolishness to ignore when someone is much better than you at one particular thing. I mean, we can go for an extreme example. Take a basketball star, Michael Jordan. When he was at the top of his basketball career, he knew that he was the best basketball player the world had seen. And he knew that other people knew that too. And so he used it to his advantage. He he wanted people to be looking at him and recognizing that he was a better player than them. And so what he would do is he would go to the opposing team's locker room before home games and he would just stand there. And he would wait as one by one the opposing players would stop what they were doing and just wait for him to do what he was going to do. And once the locker room got quiet, what he would do is he'd smile and walk away. And those opposing players, they would talk about this. They'd talk about how the effect that he left behind was intimidating. Everybody in that locker room knew that is the best player. And he's going to drop 40 points on us and there's nothing we can do to stop him. 
No, he forced them to recognize that he was the greatest player. But what does that have to do with this text in particular? The context of what's going on here is that Jesus has just told the Pharisees that they are guilty of the sin against the Holy Spirit. It's the most grievous sin there is. The the sin against the Holy Spirit is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of rejecting faith once it has been put in you. It's unbelief. The Pharisees have just been told by Jesus that they are guilty of, of, of pure unbelief. And what the Pharisees do is they come back and they say, Jesus, give us a sign. We just want a sign. We'll believe, which by the way, confirms the fact that they were in unbelief. So the Pharisees ask for a sign, and and, and Jesus responds harshly, and he says, a wicked and a corrupt generation asks for a sign. Maybe in a corner of your heart, you're asking yourself, why did he have to respond so harshly? Why couldn't he have just given them one more sign? It was well within his ability to do it. And and if he had done one more sign, then, then they would have believed and they wouldn't have had to come after him. It's because the Pharisees were not recognizing who was in front of them. They didn't recognize who Jesus was, what he was for. You know, to to take it back to this Michael Jordan thing, it would be as if I were to stand up and, and, and somehow get the opportunity to play on a professional basketball team while Michael Jordan was in his prime. And, and Michael Jordan comes into my locker room and he just waits for me to start respecting him. And I don't. I start, start talking trash. And then we get out onto the court, and it's me versus him for the opening tip-off, and I start trash-talking again. You better believe that as soon as that ball gets tossed into the air, I am going to get shown the error of my ways. I am going to fit Jesus' description of being wicked, corrupt, adulterous. I am going to be shown to be foolish for not recognizing the greatness that's in front of me. And I know what I'm doing here is I'm giving you a pithy, physical example of a powerful, profound, spiritual truth. The Pharisees were standing in front of Jesus and they were willfully ignoring what was spiritually so powerful in front of them. They had been able to see so much of Jesus. Just in Matthew chapter 12, while the Pharisees had been with him, they had watched Jesus heal a man's shriveled arm. And then then a demon-possessed person had been brought to Jesus, and Jesus had healed this man. And they have the gall to call him a demon. And then after they had witnessed all of this, they come back to Jesus and they say, Give us a sign! Just give us a sign and we'll believe Jesus. You know what this is? Jesus called it out. I'm going to as well. It's unbelief. It's pure unbelief, just like Jesus said. 
Now, we talked a lot about unbelief last week. We're going to talk about it a little bit again today. Jesus talked a lot about unbelief because he wants to put it to death in us. It's unbelief. And what we can learn about unbelief here is something that I think is really worth learning. It's that unbelief does not come from a heart being empty. It comes from a heart being full. You know, let me explain that. I, I think a lot of the time we, we think of, of an unbelieving heart being a heart that has a gaping hole in it, right? You've, you've probably heard that phrase before. There's a gaping, a gaping Jesus-sized hole in someone's heart that can never be filled with something else, and that is a useful metaphor, but, but you look at this text, and you'll see that that's not the case. Unbelief does not come from having a lack of something. It comes from having a surplus of something. It comes from having a heart that is already filled to the brim with ourselves. That's why Jesus didn't give the Pharisees the sign they wanted. It's because he knew their hearts. He knew that their hearts were already filled to the brim with themselves and everything that they thought they were, and so he didn't give them a sign. You know, have you ever wondered about that? I have. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't just give people unmistakable signs that he is who he says he is? If you're wondering, you know, God, wouldn't it just be easier for you to just tell people point blank, I am real, believe in me, and you will have eternal life? This is why God doesn't do that. He knows about unbelief. He knows that it's not that we have a gaping hole in our heart that needs to be filled. He knows that our hearts are already filled to the brim with ourselves. I can tell you example after example of how I've seen this to be true. <clears throat> During my, my short time being a minister of the gospel, I've had countless conversations with people about Jesus. And they've been beautiful conversations in, in a lot of ways where, where people will open their hearts to me and and they'll share their hurts, they'll share their troubles, they'll share their burdens, and then I'll, I'll ask them, you know, can I share something with you that comforts me when I have trouble, when I have burden, when I have hurt? And they'll say, yes, please do. And then I'll share with them about Jesus, who has come into the world to deal with my sin. I'll talk about how I did deserve death and that bothers me, but Jesus came into the world to, to die for me, to rise again so that I could be guaranteed to have a life in heaven where, where I'm not going to be bothered by my sin. I'm not going to be bothered by trouble, hurt, suffering anymore. And you know what the answers that I get almost always are? I've kind of distilled them all into three here. See if you can recognize something in common with all three of them. The first one is this. I don't have space in my life for religion right now. Number two, 
I don't want to be comforted by something I can't prove is real. And number three, I'll come check it out once life gets a little bit less crazy. Each one of those comments, each one of those explanations has something in common. Did you catch it? Almost 100% of the time, this is what I hear, every statement begins with the word, I. Every time someone's reason for not wanting to hear about the grace of Jesus is self. Unbelief is not having a, a lack in your heart. It's having a surplus of self. That's unbelief. And so Jesus says, no. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for because it's not going to help you. The only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is this. It's what I talked about with the kids this morning. The sign of Jonah is a connection between what happened with that, with that Old Testament prophet Jonah and what is going to happen with Jesus. Maybe you remember that story with Jonah. He was a prophet that God had told to go and preach to the, the, the pagan city of an enemy city of Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to do that. They were his enemy. He didn't want to give them the gospel. And so he went in the other direction. He got on a boat and sailed off in the other direction. And so God sent a storm that would not let up. And so, and so Jonah, he tells the sailors it's his fault. And eventually they throw him overboard. And as Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the sea, God sends a giant fish, a whale, to, to swallow him up. And Jonah lives in the belly of that whale for three days and three nights until he is spat out on the dry land. Jesus says to the Pharisees, here's the sign that I'm going to give you. Look for the sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights and then he was spat out to life, so I, the Son of Man, am going to be in the belly of the earth because of sin for three days and three nights and I will come out. That's the sign of Jonah. The resurrection. He says, watch for that. That's the sign that I'm going to give you. I am going to give you the sign of life. And oh man, I, I hope, I pray that, that we can understand today everything that Jesus is saying. He's saying that you can look at my miracles and you can be amazed. And he's saying that you can watch me drive out demons and you can marvel at my authority. And you can look at my teaching and, and, and marvel at the wisdom and you can still not have faith. But if you want to know whether or not I am true, if you want to know whether everything that I say about you will be true, look at the resurrection. Look at the sign of Jonah and see there. You know, when Jesus spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, you know what should have happened? 
He should have stayed there. Everyone else stays in the ground. No one rises from the dead without Jesus. Jesus did not stay there, though. He rose from the dead. And you know what that means? Jesus rose from the dead, and that means that he has conquered sin. And since he has conquered sin, it means that your sin is conquered. Your sins do not need to bother you. And because Jesus has conquered sin, it means he has also conquered death. And because he has conquered death, it means you will rise too. That's what the sign of Jonah means for you. And that's the kind of good news that's worth filling your heart with. That's what Jesus wants our hearts to be filled with. With the truth that he is who he says he is, that he is our Savior from death. Now, I do want to encourage you this morning. Keep your hearts filled with Jesus. Be always filling your heart with his word and with his promises. I want to encourage you in this and I also want to equip you to be able to do this, to defend your heart from from letting anything else take root there so that you can just be filled with Jesus and his promises. Here's how you do it. It's basketball season, right? Got a few more basketball games today. The NBA playoffs will start pretty soon. It's basketball season. And and there's a phrase that that is true for most sports. And it's certainly true of basketball. And, And that phrase is that the best defense is a good offense. Right, when when you're playing basketball and and you're on the team that has a little bit of a lead and there's still a little bit of time left to go in the game, what are you doing? You're trying to play a really good offense. You're trying to make passes so that you can keep the ball as long as you possibly can so that the other team can't even have the ball to go and try and score. The best defense is a good offense. And the best way to defend your heart from being filled with anything other than Jesus is to make sure that your heart is already filled with Jesus. The best defense is a good offense and the best offense is a good Friday. That's what I want to encourage you with today. Fill your heart with that. Fill your heart with a good Friday. See your Savior as he hangs on the cross fully out of love for you. And then go to Easter. See your Savior as he walks out of that tomb to life to assure you that you also will rise. See what happened when the world's actual solution defeated the world's deepest actual problem. See in God's word that Christ has risen. And then take that truth, plant it home in your heart, 
And then remember, if Jesus has risen from the dead, and he has, then everything else that he says about me will also be true. Fill your heart with the resurrection. Fill your heart with Jesus and his promises. The Pharisees asked for a sign. They could not believe what was in front of their eyes. In their hearts, they wanted to be MJ, and they had already filled their hearts with themselves. And so they asked for a sign, and Jesus gave them a sign. He died on the cross. He died for the whole world, yes, for the Pharisees too, yes, for you. And he rose. Death is done. Sin is done. Your eternal life is sure. This is the greatest sign that can be given, and it has been given to you.